1: When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 80 pounds, and I've completely turned my health around.
0: And this show is a document of both my progress through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking.
1: Yeah, we're not doctors, we don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) We have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any
0: claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. We love to cook and we love to eat. In every Mm -hmm. episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. (laughs) (laughs) Ignored, I dare you. Dare you. So let's start podcast number 74. Dr. Jeffrey Gerber speaks. So Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, That was uh, with Melanie from the Hill Clinics. Man, she was full of energy, wasn't she? Oh, my God. I, I, I was just blown away by her energy and enthusiasm.
1: I don't think we have any corrections or apologies from that week, but uh, if anyone hears anything that they disagree with, you know what to do. Right.
0: So, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you in a state of nutritional ketosis, where you're burning body fat for fuel, Mm -hmm. and protein is moderate. So, one to one and a half grams of protein for every kilogram of lean body mass, which is what you'd weigh without body fat. Right. And then we get all of our energy from fat. fat. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's right. The fat on your plate or that ancient Krispy Kreme that you ate a decade ago and stored on your hips.
0: Exactly. So, buddy, how was your week? Yeah, it was
1: awesome. Uh, I've been getting ready for Keto Fest, and one of the things I've been doing is uh, I have a cooking demo to do. In 30 minutes, I'm going to demo six different meals made with pulled beef, and so I've been prepping those. I've, uh, I've been timing myself and making sure that I've that I've got the best possible recipe that I can uh, use for each of these six recipes. So it's it's a
0: it's going to be a big task, but I think it's going to be fun. Oh yeah, it's going to be fun. How was your week, Carl? Huh? Uh, been great. Yeah, I'm doing the same. I'm running around like the proverbial chicken with its proverbial head proverbially cut off. And, uh, <laughs> uh, get, you know, lots of big boxes are arriving at my house and unpacking things and moving things around and getting ready. Uh, I can't wait, man. I just, just uh, the excitement is growing. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work
1: doing one of these festival things, but uh, it's it's going to be fun. It's it's like about two hundred fifty people all showing up.
0: Yeah, that's right. And
1: we're gonna we're gonna turn New London, Connecticut, keto.
0: Absolutely, I can't and wait. I think
1: it's the first time anywhere anyone has ever tried to turn a U.S. town keto, even for just a
0: weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be very surprised if it's happened before. Right. Yeah. Well, this is the portion of the show where we give away swag. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you get swag, Carl? You get swag by joining the Two Keto Dudes fan club. Right. And if you go to fanclub.twoketo.com, just answer a couple of questions, and literally they're like five dumb questions, you're in. And every show, you'll be eligible to win something. And right now, we're giving away coffee mugs with our mugs on them. (laughs) Today's winner is Wanda Jane Washington. Yeah. Congratulations Wanda. Yep. Just by answering a few questions, you're in the fan club and you win this week. So, a mug is on its way to you. Nice. And that brings us to <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I love that segment. (laughs) All right, I'm going to go first. And this mail is actually from our ketogenic forums, and it's from somebody called Richard Morris. Hey, I know that guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's a troublemaker. Definitely. So I actually heard on a TV show in Australia called The Project uh, a video of a child trying Coca-Cola for the first time.
0: So, this and, isn't a uh, very nutritionally dense male, is it? <laughs> this is
1: not a nutritionally dense male. This one has a, a kid trying coke for the first time. <laughs> That's pretty funny, too.
0: Let's watch it together. Mm. Yeah, sure. All right, here we go. And one, two, three, go. So, she's she must be about two... I think she's so. A she's sip. sitting oh, in a high chair. Eyes go back oh. in their head. One eye is fluttering, oh. the other is open, and their head goes way back. Oh, no. She she's goes, passed eh. out. And now she's happy and taking another sip. Sugar rush. <laughs> that is hilarious.
1: I swear I saw every emotion pass that little girl's face as she <laughs> she was encountered Coca-Cola for the first time yeah, in her life.
0: Bubbles up my nose. What's going on, Mom? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, so what do you got, Carl? Well, I have also a post from the ketogenic forum. This one's from back in December of 2016. So, this was um, one of our original Facebook members who got in early, right? Because we opened okay. up the doors before um, we let the public in. But this is from Rookie. And he basically asked to, to start a thread or a forum or a, you know, a conversation with a keto-educated physicians list. So, he wants oh, a, wow. a, a list for the keto-friendly doctors that we can recommend. And I thought this was interesting because... You know, a couple of days later, Naomi says, I think that's an awesome idea. I'm on the quest for a physician who would be supportive of this lifestyle. Right. I live in Denver, Colorado. Ah. And our friend Tom Cease jumps on, here you are, the Denver metro area, Dr. Jeffrey Gerber, jgerbermd.com. And uh, she replies back, well, thanks, I'll give him a call. How exciting. But um, uh, I guess Jimmy Moore's got a list of doctors, and that was uh, put in there. Yeah. Low-carb down under, I've got one. Yep, low-carb down under, exactly. And some other ones, like from Olympia, Washington, mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of thing. So it's a good place. to. And I, I want to see some more people posting um, keto-friendly doctors in here. Yep, that's a good place good resource. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And you know, if I, I've actually um Spoken to a number of people in Canberra who were looking for a physician who was at least aware of what a ketogenic diet was. And I've passed on details to my physician and, and the practice she works in. Yeah. Uh, because in a, both she and a number of the doctors there are at least aware of a ketogenic diet. My, my physician actually does the Michael Mosley 5-2 diet, which is where
0: she uh, eats uh, moderately for five days and mm. then fasts for two days every yeah. week. Yep, that's very popular. And the opposite Mm. is popular, too, now. Fasting for five days and then feasting for two days. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, Richard, I'm very, very happy to welcome to the show, finally, after all these months, and I almost said years, Mm. but after all these months, (laughs) Dr. Jeffrey Gerber... And uh, a. if you don't know who he is, he's a board-certified family physician and owner of South Suburban Family Medicine in Littleton, Colorado, where he's known as Denver's Diet Doctor. He's been providing personalized health care to the local community since 1993 and continues that tradition with an emphasis on longevity, wellness, and prevention. Nutrition and its effects on health are areas of interest to Dr. Gerber. And uh, you can read the rest of his bio on the website. You know him, you love him. It's Dr. Gerber. Welcome.
2: Hey, Carl and Richard. Thanks for having me. The last time we met was uh, at the Low Carb Breckenridge Conference. And um, Richard and I had a great day on the slopes. We did. It was awesome. Yeah. And it was really fun. A great conference. Great to meet you. And I wanted to thank you for inviting me to the Keto Fest that's coming up shortly. Oh, we
0: can't wait. It, you know, Breckenridge was a really cool venue, and I guess you all you guys like to ski, and that's one of the reasons that uh, you go there. But it was the first time I had been at that altitude, and I was a little woozy for a while.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yes, we do like to ski, and honestly, the majority of people that come to the conference aren't skiers. But y- you have to admit that it's fun. It's it's a beautiful oh, it's place. it's beautiful. To, yeah, in the winter to to be there. It's, it's a 10,000 feet. Uh, we have to, what is that, 3,000 meters? <laughs> we have yeah, to do yeah. the conversion there. I think it's the
1: other way around,
2: 30,000.
1: Uh, no, no, you're right, 3,000, you're right. Yeah, I think yeah.
2: it's, it's yeah, so it, it, it's high. And uh, next year, we, we already have the conference planned. In fact, uh, it's going to be the first weekend in March 2018. And we're moving to a hotel up the street. And they have uh, not only bars or a bar, but they actually in the bar have an oxygen bar. Oh, that's nice. cool. <laughs> and and I've been told that 20 minutes at the oxygen bar can really help with the um, altitude uh, sickness.
0: Oh, we yeah. bought those little canisters of oxygen, didn't we, Richard? We were all hitting mm, on the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I noticed actually when I had
1: my uh, – uh, because I was jet lagged, I'd flown from Australia, and they say the jet lag interferes with the uh, altitude sickness – and uh, I so I, I, I noticed a, quite a severe uh, altitude sickness that was only relieved with oxygen. But the other interesting thing I found is that normally my ketones are... I, I, I run very low, between uh, 0.2 and 0.8 most days. Um, I'm just one of these people like Tim Noakes who just doesn't produce a lot of ketones even if i if i fast for several days and and do two hours of exercise i still won't produce a lot but when i was at altitude i i had like four ke- a ketones of right. four millimoles per liter so that was remarkable
0: i think you're in the audience we we're sitting next to each other and you pulled out your blood sugar meter and your ketones were off the chart yeah Dude. i think i remember that
2: yeah <laughs> that's that's interesting
0: so you and Ivor come in a pair, right? I mean, you you guys work together. He's the engineer and you're the doctor and you guys have this uh, nice working relationship. Um what what is that like? I mean, and and why did you uh, why did, how did you guys meet?
2: Yeah, so we met back in 2014. I had uh uh created a presentation that uh I I for, I'd given in several different venues. And uh, eventually, put that up on YouTube, and then uh, Ivor Cummins comes along, and uh, he puts a post up, the cl- Cholesterol Conundrum, and uh, I, I got a hold of it, and I said, you know, who's this crazy engineer? He's talking about health <laughs> and and nutrition, and I realized that we had a common interest immediately in cardiovascular health, nutrition, yeah. and and diabetes, and so we connected Im- immediately. And, uh, you know, way back then we, I think we had a, a Skype session and, and I said, boy, we need to collaborate. And, and he said, what, what do you mean by collaboration? I said, I don't know. This is just really <laughs> fun. Yeah. And I think it's a great message. And we had first met at the, um, the conference in, in Cape Town, the low carb summit that was right. back in mm. 2015. Um, where we actually came up with this idea of working on a book that will hopefully come out here uh, the end of the year or the beginning of January. And uh don't even want to share the title with you he- yet, but we are talking, uh, discussing general health, nutrition, cardiovascular uh, disease, longevity, hyperinsulinemia, nice. huh. just the general things that uh, we've been talking about for years. And so, how, how does your work complement each other? I
0: mean, uh, he, he doesn't have the medical background, you don't have an engineering background, but I assume that there's a little bit of overlap there, isn't there?
2: Yeah, well, um, Ivor is a chemical engineer. That's his background. And I've always been a techno nerd geeky person always interested in science technology engineering i probably should have gone into engineering but i come from a family of physicians yeah and so it was kind of in my blood that that was where i was headed and so um we've just kind of brought it all together and it's just a, a the the team is a great way to bring a, a message of better health and nutrition to to the public and um, you know, I think healthcare professionals really connect with, with Ivor's engineering message and, and he, he really brings the science into it. And yeah. what I do is bring the clinical perspective into it. Now it's somewhat interesting. I've been doing this now for almost 18 years. Wow! And it's just in the last couple of years that I, that I've met Ivor. So, um, I kind of didn't know what I was doing way back when, but I knew I was onto something <laughs> and, and I just kept going with it. And what I've seen over the last 18 years is just, it, it's really blossomed. And right. you know, I, I come to meet people like you and people like Ivor and, and it's a global phenomenon. It's just wonderful now. So, how did you get
1: to the original uh, thesis 18 years ago? Because you must have
2: been a, quite an outlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, s- s- certainly, Richard. Um, m- my interest uh, starts actually from childhood. Uh, and my parents, my mother was the diet expert. Ah. And, you know, back in the 1970s, uh, she, you know, she started, she went through every diet in the book. Wow. Wow. You know, I had struggled with my own weight, my, my father, my brother, we all had personal health issues. And so... I think from childhood I was interested in diet and nutrition, and then going into medical school, of course, we were were taught the basic uh, uh, aspects of nutrition: eat less, exercise sure. more, low fat, low calorie. And it, it kind of didn't make sense it, it, it to me. And yeah. um, about ten years about ten years into my career, because I'm I, I'm I've been doctoring now for twenty eight years. Um, There was, there were several factors. Yeah, I've been at it for a while. (laughs) Uh, patients came to me saying that they were trying these new low carb diets. Uh, There was a challenge from my father in law to, to try low carb for myself. Mm. And then I started to read about, uh, metabolic disease. And it was just, it was just an awakening to me at this point where I I realized that it's possible that, that we had it all wrong. Yeah. And and then we started to focus on insulin, you know, metabolic disease and starting to challenge the, you know, the diet heart hypothesis, the lipid hypothesis, um, which we had no time to challenge back in the day. We were, we were just, you know, we were just so busy in medical school saving lives. And so, um, this is where uh, I got involved back, you know, 18 years ago. and you know, doing my own homework and studies and looking at the literature, I realized that there was enough evidence to really support what I'm doing. And there's even more evidence today to support this approach.
1: Yeah, it's got to be easier for doctors these days because there's so much more uh, actual evidence that, uh, into low-carb diets. I'm just thinking of like the Verte study that just came out the other day. Uh, these things are uh, coming out every day that uh, are showing that what you started doing 18 years ago is, in fact, the right uh, approach for metabolic syndrome.
0: You must have all sorts of clinical evidence as well in your own practice. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Eric Westman's treated, what, 4,000 patients or something like that and have n- had no real failures. I mean, every single one of them improved.
2: Right. So I've actually done, and I've tracked over 2,000 glucose tolerance tests that I've done on my patients. Wow. And, and that, th- that's not all the patients that we talk to nutrition about. In fact, we don't do glucose tolerance tests on everybody. Mm. But, uh, you know, my clinic, I have a lot of clinical experience now over the years. And in, in the book that we're, we're writing right now with Ivor, we're going to actually share some of the patient's stories. And, uh. Great. Some of them are, some of them are amazing. Um, you know, for, for instance, we have a patient who, um, had been going to the university hospital here for years and, um, not having any significant improvement in, in their weight. Um, HbA1c was running in the 11 to 12 range. And wow. All they wanted to do at the university was, uh, put her into studies looking at insulin therapy. And just just standard nutritional advice at all. If at all, that's all they would talk to the patient about. And then um, the patient actually on her own uh, uh, with her partner did some of her own homework and discovered low-carb and keto. Hmm. And she came to see me a couple months afterwards just to support what she was doing. And in three and a half months, her A1C went from – and I, I kid you not, from twelve to five, wow. and she lost, she lost fifty pounds. She got off all her medicine. Yeah, that doesn't
1: surprise me because I had exactly the same experience. Mine was eleven point two, and it's been five point two uh, ever since I hit a ketogenic diet. And and I did the same thing. I did the research and uh, and then found uh, everyone online and uh, basically taught myself. And uh, then for you know for many years, I was just by myself, just plugging along doing it. Uh, then ran into Carl, and he said, "I want some of what you got." <laughs> and, yeah,
0: right. Uh, oh, mine was only seven point four, though, but it's five point two now as well. Right.
2: Yeah. So I I knew you guys had similar stories, but you know it's just great to 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 see significant changes like that. Mm. Now I I have to say, not everybody has it easy. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. And yeah. you know there there are some there are some challenges. So. Uh, we we see um, women in particular who are actually metabolically healthy on the uh, inside, but yeah, okay. they're yeah they're they're metabolically healthy, but they're not at their ideal body weight, and they have this um, amazing capacity to store healthy subcutaneous fat. Right. And and they're the toughest ones to help lose weight. Yeah. So. My, my little pearl with my patients is that my job is to help control people's appetite. If I can control people's appetite, they're not going to be as hungry. They're going to eat less. They'll eat less frequently and all is good. And so sometimes with, with those challenging women, uh, we may have to focus a little bit more, believe it or not, on the quantity of food. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as, you know, low-carb and keto are still approaches. But it 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 gets a little bit um, technical in terms of what you want to do with these people. Right. So, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, protein-sparing modified fasts. Yeah. So, yeah. But tell the, tell the, the listeners anyway. Yeah. So, uh, protein-sparing modified fasts. It goes back years, and so it's really a low-carb, low-fat diet. The problem is most people are starving, Mm. and it's it's the induction period that's really the challenge. And so this is where we feel that a low-carb diet or even a keto diet can help you uh, get into a mode where you're now burning your own body fat, so you're fat-adapted. So once you achieve fat-adaptation – you can now reduce the fat calories that you're consuming. And I, th- I believe Steve Finney actually talked about that. So a low-carb, high-fat diet actually can turn out later on, once you're fat adapted, to be um, you're consuming low-carb, low-fat. But what you're burning inside is still low-carb, high-fat because it's coming from your own fat stores.
0: Yeah, so long as you don't let your insulin creep up and block those fat stores from being burned. Yeah, and you're not hungry, right? Because that's the problem. If your fasted insulin is over
1: thirteen, you have uh, diminished capacity to uh, uh, liberate energy from body fat, and so um, you know if you're one of the unfortunate people who is insulin resistant, not not these women who uh, are insulin sensitive and and mm. have extra weight, but somebody who is insulin resistant. Um, then their ability to do something like a protein sparing modified fast is, is limited by the, f- it's, by the fact yeah. that they can't access their body fat for energy.
2: Not going to work. You're right.
0: Yeah. I, I found that, you know, we've for most of this show, we've been talking about, you know, if you're hungry, have some fat and usually that fat comes with salt. And I've been finding that salt by itself is, is pretty good at knocking out hunger. And ever since oh. the salt show that we did. Um, you, you you know, Richard, I mean, it's our standard thing. You know, if you're hungry, have some bacon, right? Oh and you're price. not hungry anymore. Oh, it must be the fat. But, you know, what about all the salt maybe in that it's bacon? It's maybe it's maybe, the salt. Yeah. Maybe it's the salt just as much and maybe more. Maybe it's mm-hmm. the salt alone. Maybe there's something there. So, I don't know what you think about that, uh, Jeff.
2: Well, if you haven't already you interviewed James DeNicolantonio, who did. just came out with the salt fix. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've been recommending, um, pink salt, any kind of salt to our patients for years because we, we know there's so many benefits and it's, it's, it's such a paradox that it's completely opposite to what we've been taught.
0: Yeah. But, you know, by now we're used to living with paradoxes, aren't we? I mean, it seems <laughs> like just, you know, pile it
2: on. Why not? Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, the American Heart Association is quite a paradox. Yes.
0: Well, is that a nice way to say
2: wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And 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 that raises a point: is that, you know, I want to work with insi- inside inside the, the the healthcare system. Right. In other words, I don't want to be. I don't want to take an adversarial approach. And you know one of the other docs who was at the, the Breckenridge conference, Mark Cucazella, mm. You know he he's a hospitalist, and the idea is we want to bring about change from the inside. And so, my big contribution is actually offering um, educational credits to healthcare professionals to these conferences. Now, you guys haven't asked to do that. Your your conference is slightly a different format. But uh, we want to we want to teach healthcare professionals. Yeah. We don't want to badger them. We'd love to work with the American Heart Association, but yeah. you know they're they're just setting their ways. Sure. <laughs> unfortunately,
1: I'm actually uh, skiing with uh, Rod Taylor, your partner, who uh, did the low carb conference in August, and we're going to do a one day event with. Um, a couple of other, a couple of doctors. We've got, um, the, uh, doctor for the Australian cricket team, uh, is going to be there and a couple of dieticians. So, uh, that's going to be a mini event, nothing like Breckenridge, but it'll be one tenth of the size. But that's a thread Well, well,
2: that's great. Well, you know, we, we might be headed to recruiting heart associations. I know that, um, Ivor Cummins and Dr. Scott Murray, he's a um, cardiologist in the UK. Uh, They're going to be participating in, in a large cardiology conference coming up in the fall. So, you know... We'll see what happens, and we, we'll see who shows up at these conferences. Uh, we, we get the credits for the Breckenridge Conference, and I've also been working with Doug Reynolds for the Low Carb USA Conferences. So there's there's one coming up in San Diego, and yeah. we're working on credits for that as well.
1: We should organize to uh, to attempt to get credits uh, the next time we do KetoFest. Not this time, but but maybe the next time around because that mm. uh, sounds – we are – Actively uh, approaching physicians and family doctors. Uh, in fact, we we gave away uh, forty free tickets to anybody who wanted to come to Keto Fest and bring their doctor. We would give away a free ticket to the doctor uh, to sit with them and and actually um, uh, uh, watch the event. Because our theory was, if most of these doctors are seeing you know three thousand patients a year, then between now and next year, that's another hundred and twenty thousand patients who have had access to a doctor who is at least aware of the fact that a ketogenic diet is a, is a possible treatment for metabolic syndrome. Yeah.
0: And that you're not going to kill yourself on it.
2: Yeah. It, to get as many as you can would be great. And, you know, doctors are attracted to educational credits and, and free food.
1: <laughs> that helps. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I, I think also doctors have a vocation. They they're, they're not they're not doing it to make money. or oh, well, I'm, I'm speaking to the expert, I guess, but uh, uh, of, of somebody who's doing it for the vocation of of trying to help people. I mean, this is this is the most doctors I know. Uh, that's their primary reason they got into the business. And and you know, if you're seeing metabolic syndrome patients, I mean, we're talking about between 55 and 75 percent of Americans are most likely on that slippery slope, uh, it must be so frustrating to see these pe- people every day and not have any treatment other than maybe bariatric surgery that's going to be able to, to, to reverse their diabetes.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a bit of altruism in especially primary care family doctors and internal right. medicine but you know you would you'd think most doctors went into it to help people but um certainly i i I've, I've now learned about what primary prevention is and it's you know the it, it's it's easy it, it makes sense it all fits together and so you know we we do this every day with our patients but uh, these conferences uh, can bring this to a much uh, larger audience. The podcast. Oh, yeah, so yeah. again, we all need to do our part to, um, you know, ge- educate healthcare professionals and, of course, the general public.
0: So we have forty healthcare professionals coming to Keto Fest for free. We uh, we gave wow. away forty tickets, so there will be people there. A couple people from
2: Yale. Um, I know that. So, these are people, you know, we're not going to be, you know, preaching to the converted here. These are hopefully uh, yeah. not na- nutrition-naive healthcare professionals, in a sense. You just said, come to the conference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's philanthropy. That's yeah. great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, hopefully, some of them will, will get to talk to you and the other doctors and experts there and... Yeah, I, 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 think it's a great thing. Besides, uh, Westman is doing the heel clinic on the Friday before, uh, this coming Friday. I guess if, you know, you're listening to this at the right time. And, uh, and they're also allowing local healthcare professionals in for free.
2: So excellent. Yeah, it's a great thing. I'm, yeah. We, we should get, um, educational credits next year for the conference. Great idea. Yeah.
0: What are, if you could pick one dynamite amazing factoid or, or slide from your deck that you're going to show at keto fest what what might it be for those who aren't going?
2: Oh, yeah well, um, we can get into the American Heart Association and I, let's I, do that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so look these guys are at the helm and the ship is going down fast. yeah and you know they come out with a paper this year. That says, guys, the prevalence of heart disease is rising. It is at a great much at a rate much faster than they anticipated. In fact, uh, they, they just said in this uh, report this year that by 2035, they're anticipating that almost half of the American population will have some form of cardiovascular disease. Wow, that's so, insane. Yeah, and, and it's actually. It's a wonderful paper because prevalence, incidents and prevalence are very difficult numbers to get at. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, they, they've, they've collected enough data to, to say, you know, hey, this isn't working, okay? Yeah. And okay, so, but they don't know how to fix it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because then they come out just a couple weeks ago with the um, – you know the presidential advisory saying that you know we're going to st- still stick with this um, diet-heart hypothesis thing that Ansel Keys came up with way back in the nineteen fifties, mm. and we're going to cite four papers from the nineteen sixties as as yeah. evidence yeah. to say that you know oh you 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 got to drop saturated fat from your diet, and you know. They, they have to start thinking about metabolic disease they even recognize it they identify it but you know it's like professions are on the line right and you jobs know, I think yeah. it's jobs it's 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 their it's ego people talk about money and politics I think it's more of a personal thing that you know people just can't admit that they they went down the wrong path.
0: Yeah. Not only that, Jeff, I think that there's a lot of people are just, uh, let's face it, just addicted to carbohydrates. And, you know, they've they sort of lost their judgment about it. I mean, you know, yeah. I, and I, t- we talked about this with Gary Fetke. I couldn't imagine when I was before keto and before low carb that I would ever not want to eat bread. I just couldn't imagine myself in that state where I wouldn't be attracted to sugar and carbohydrates. And yet. Here I am, you know, just a few months later
2: and I don't need that. And and that reminds me of, you know, the, you know, the food industry and farming, what are we going to do with all the corn and the grain? Right. Feed it to pigs. (laughs) Yeah. Feed it. Yeah. Feed it to pigs. And so at the beginning of the conversation, you know, we said that there's so much evidence now. And so the American Heart Association are stuck. Okay. Right. And. You know, we've looked at the past 50 years, and first of all, we can really um, find holes in all the four studies that they quote, and, and the, li- the list goes on and on. I mean, there's, there's um, meta-analysis after meta-analysis that just uh, continually demonstrates that um, there's really no strong relationship between eating saturated fat in the diet and heart disease. Right. In fact, you know there. uh, What was it, Harvard? Yeah, the har. Yeah, in fact, Harvard went back and they looked at the um, uh, the the Minnesota Heart Study. They looked at the um, Sydney Heart Study. Yeah. And they, they, you know, the anthropologists of uh, of health science went went back (laughs) and pulled the data out from the archives and reanalyzed and said, you know what? If you replace saturated fat with 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 um omega-6 pufa actually heart disease went up yes and all cause mortality all cause mortality yeah so uh completely the opposite so uh, you know nobody has to convince me anymore uh i just think that you know i i joke that you know we need to take off our cholesterol glasses and and really understand the the big picture now we can, we can think about cholesterol. It's, 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 it's still important. It, it is a, perhaps a contributing factor, but. You know, it's it's only a small part of, you know, what in, what inflames the, the blood vessel.
1: I, I found a study the other day. In fact, I've been banging on for the past year and a half about these two studies that, that were done in the 60s. One was a, a dog study where they made dogs diabetic and then gave them their insulin to, uh, to equalize their glucose, but they gave it in one femoral artery and they produced dogs that had cardiovascular disease in just one leg. Uh, and so that was the first thing that clued me in that maybe insulin is responsible for this. And the other study was there's a rabbit study. There's a rabbit model of atherosclerotic pro- progression where if you feed a rabbit a diet it's not supposed to eat, like animal cholesterol, it becomes atherosclerotic. And they found that if they made rabbits diabetic, uh, then, uh, and unable to produce insulin, then uh, the rabbits were protected from atherosclerosis, and, and that that really shows one that insulin is necessary, but also that it's sufficient to produce atherosclerosis. Well, this other study that I just found the other day was another rabbit study where they then took the rabbits that were protected from atherosclerosis by becoming diabetic and gave them the insulin that their pancreas would have otherwise made and they all became atherosclerotic. So, Uh you know, really insulin is the canary in the coal mine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, we, you could think of insulin as a master hormone, but there's many other mm-hmm. signals. And, and I think we're still lear- learning, but the sure. idea is that we have to really look at uh, the broader picture. And, uh, what we've been doing, we've been doing that with our patients now for 18 years. And, um, although, you know, I don't do research in my office, my clinical experience, uh, I've seen patients, um, uh, reverse their diabetes, lose weight, uh, prevent heart attacks, and uh, th- it's it's a joy to see them improve.
0: How about kidney function, Dr. Gerber? Do you find people who have kidney problems are hesitant to do a low-carb or ketogenic diet? I, I'm finding this in my personal life, uh, so it seems to me the opposite, but uh, th- that is a common myth that's out there that yeah. ketogenic's hard on the kidneys.
2: Yeah, so... You know there's a couple things that are believed to be bad on the kidneys and uh initially way back when it was concerns that uh a ketogenic diet or a low carb diet would be a high protein diet right, which would right. be hard on which would be hard on the kidneys and um
0: And the reason is because the uh, of the ammonia production and uric acid and all that right
2: Yeah so you know protein can be a problem in patients that you know, have end stage renal, uh, disease. Hmm. We call it chronic kidney disease, stage three or stage four. And so, you know, maybe limiting protein is something to do. But, um, you know, in, in our, what we do in the clinical setting in the primary care office, um, you know, our patients don't have kidney disease like that. We do right. have a few that are off seeing the nephrologist. We do have a few patients in, in dialysis. But for the general population, um, there's really never any proof that protein h- is dangerous to the kidneys. Right. Now, um, regarding, you know, uh, ketogenic diet or nutritional ketosis, that that's, of course, completely different than k- ketoacidosis, which is a, um, a dire State of uh, complications of type one and type two diabetes, and that you you can get into trouble. But um, when when we're talking about nutritional ketosis, we're putting uh, patients on a diet where we're reducing carbs, and and that that first of all is about as healthy as it gets for your kidneys. It lowers your blood pressure. Uh, you, you you know you, you don't reduce salt to lower blood pressure you reduce carbs yeah but, right but I
1: think uh, Charlie mobs uh, wrote a paper on a mouse study where they found that they were able to reverse diabetic a uh, kidney disease with a ketogenic diet that's right I remember that well yeah,
2: I mean look if 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 you consider the, the majority of uh, renal diseases is microvascular hmm. um it's it's and 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 that that's again a, a, an atherosclerotic condition it, it the same way that you're treating atherosclerosis in the heart um um diabetic retinopathy in the eye yeah. diabetic kidney disease it's all it's all essentially micro it's vascular mm. disease the the approach is, is the same again you want to address uh you know insulin essentially mm. and, yes. and and yeah
0: well, that's great. I'm like I said, I have some personal friends who were, were scared of the, you know, their doctor told them that, you know, it was hard on the kidneys. And indeed a doctor told me that back in the nineties that, you know, that Atkins diet, you got to watch out. There's, you know, we don't, we don't know what long-term effects will be on kidneys, but you know, now we know people who have been low carb and ketogenic for 18, 19 years.
2: Yeah. Well. So you can um, you can do some bl- blood uh, markers to to measure your renal function, but this really leads me to what we think is just a wonderful test to to really look at vascular disease, and, and it, this is the heart calcium scan, and and um, you know when I, I've known about it for a long time, but uh, like most primary care doctors, we thought that this heart calcium scan was a test that was created by cardiologists. To get them more business. <laughs> <laughs> yep. A- a- and then over the years, you know, actually uh, through my collaboration with with Ivor Cummins, we learned a lot more about the power of the calcium scan and uh, what it is. It's a um, it's a CT scan of the heart, and it's a gated high speed scan where it can see the mm. calcium in the tiny little coronary arteries as the heart's beating. And calcium is basically representative of plaque, and so the more calcium the more plaque you have, and the higher your risk, and it's it's just a wonderful tool to predict. Um, the, well, actually, uh, to, well to predict risk. But what's important is when you look at the the blood markers, they're really just risk factors. Whereas the calcium scan, it's a marker of disease. It is disease. Yeah, it yeah. is disease. It's it's night and night and day, and and so. We think it's probably the most important tool out there in terms of screening for cardiovascular risk, and yet and most primary care doctors have no idea about the test. Yeah, it's actually looking at the
1: actual disease rather than the surrogate endpoint, as a surrogate marker like uh, LDL. And, and going back to what you were saying before about the Sydney diet study and the Minnesota coronary experiment, both of those were able to change people's diet and make their LDL cholesterol go down, but in both cases, their heart disease and their all-cause mortality both got worse. So that just goes to show you that when you're following these surrogate markers like LDL cholesterol and total cholesterol and all these other, you know, good, good, bad, bad, good, and whatever, you know, the meh cholesterol, you you, <laughs> you find that these things just don't. They're not looking at the actual disease, and and I'm proud to say I've got a zero zero Agatson score or zero calcium uh, coronary artery calcium score. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I
0: know I've got no heart disease. i got to d- I got to find a place that does it around here too. I'm going to do that this year. Carl's done an intima, a, a carotid intima. Yeah, ultrasound. No plaque.
2: That's good. That's good. You, you have no plaque there. So uh, with the carotid test – to us, it's kind of a surrogate to the to the heart calcium scan. Although you're looking at a different blood vessel, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not the intima thickness that I'm necessarily interested in, just to see if there's plaque in the um, in the in the crowded artery. Okay. But hmm. getting getting back, um, Richard, to what you said, there's we, Iver and I have found now about 17 studies that show that. Um, LDL cholesterol doesn't, as a surrogate, doesn't correlate with uh, calcium score prediction. Right. So, what does that tell you? If if you find a surrogate that doesn't correlate with the gold standard, you probably shouldn't be using it. You're because not looking at the disease. <laughs> it's telling you nothing. It's not telling you if you have disease or not. It's 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 right. it's um, associational nonsense. Right <laughs> is what it is.
0: So there was another study that showed um, non causation based on non correlation, which was uh, the the doctor the one where people with heart uh, events were admitted to hospital emergency rooms and their cholesterol was measured, and it turns out the average cholesterol was low.
2: Right. Uh, this, this is the uh, Get With The Guidelines. Yes. Your... Yeah. So, like right, the 2009 study. So, uh, it was almost 140,000 patients hospitalized with a- acute cardiac events. And then they measured their cholesterol. And what they found was, was three quarters of the patients were at goal, cholesterol right. goal. Right. And so, the question is, well, if they're at goal, what were they doing in the hospital having heart attacks?
0: Right. So, there's non-correlation. And doesn't non-correlation mean non-causation unless well, you unless you're, uh, have other confounders? But that's got to yeah, be a big coincidence, it,
2: doesn't it? I, I don't think you can bring causation into it because um, it, 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 the study was just associational. But you can challenge hmm. an existing hypothesis or a null hypothesis, say that, you know, elevated cholesterol causes heart disease, as right. an association. So here you're saying, well, here's a study that, an associat- associational study that, that challenges shows that hypothesis. Yeah. It shows the opposite. So it, it does cancel that out. The hypotheses cancel each other out, basically.
1: Yep. So the funny thing is, if you ask uh, a lobbyist
2: for the statin industry,
1: their first thought's going to be, oh, well, we're not lowering cholesterol enough. Right. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we are showing
0: The Widowmaker at Keto Fest, the one-hour version. And uh, mm. for those who don't know about it, why don't you tell us what that movie's all about?
2: Yeah. Well, um, The Widowmaker was uh, produced by um, uh, David Bobbitt, who is a um, successful businessman in um, in Ireland. And he, uh, a couple years back, went to the U.S. and had his own... Um, calcium score just randomly I, I I think maybe he had met with Bill Davis and he had a really high score of 900. Ouch. Ouch and shortly after because of the high calcium score and not understanding why he had it he was a very you know very healthy still very healthy very active exercised, maintained ideal body weight. Mm. He was a jogger. Yeah, he still is. And he was wondering, well, why? I'm a healthy guy. So, he, fe- he happened to find out, well, he was diabetic. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. So He had no out. idea at that point. Was he type yeah, 2 or I,
1: type
0: 1? Uh, it was type 2. Well, he must have been type 2. If he was type 1, he didn't know it. He would have known it. Yeah. Right?
2: <laughs> you, you know, I don't have all the details, but um, we we when we see um, um, thin diabetics later in life, Mm. That they, they, they may have uh, a degree of loss of beta cell function at that, at that time. Right. Or there may be some underlying, um, um, immune problems such as, um, type one and a half diabetes, what we call latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. So there may be mm. a little bit of that going on as well. But the bottom line is he found out that he was diabetic. And yeah. then he says, why, that why, why don't people know about this test? And right. so, again, um, David is very generous and, um, you know, his philanthropy kicked in and, and he basically funded this, this wonderful movie called The Widowmaker Movie. And it basically talks about um, the power of the calcium scan I have to admit there's a bit of three theatrics in the movie um, right. just right. to kind of make its point where it it kind of puts uh, the calcium score up against stents and yep. to to make the point that, you know, all the doc, all the cardiologists and the interventionalists do are just, they put stents in people. Now, a certain amount of that is definitely true. Sure. And, and, you know, you know, well, we, we don't want to, do calcium scans because if we do calcium scans, we won't – we're going to lose money because the calcium scan will say, well, you don't need to put in stents. Right. So, <laughs> a bit of theatrics, but it, it just really – the movie is wonderful documentary that that really teaches the public about, uh, the, you know, the power of this test.
0: Yeah. There's one other point I want to make before we say goodbye, which is that, you know, we talked about the American Heart Association, but we there's also a couple other government agencies that are involved in what we eat and what, you know, is supposedly healthy. The FDA and the USDA, the USDA does the food pyramid, of course, and the FDA, um, I, I just read the story and I shared it with you just before we started recording, Jeffrey, that the FDA claims frosted flakes are healthier than avocados, <laughs> <laughs> so according to the FDA guidelines, avocados aren't healthy because they contain four and a half grams of fat, you know, per whatever. And frosted flakes are healthier because they have almost zero fat. And then, you know, they actually talk about, uh, Pop Tarts being healthy. And, uh, what was the other thing? It was crazy. Salmon, probably. Oh, salmon was unhealthy because of the fat. Yeah. And, mm, well-
2: uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that the frosted flakes and the pop tart lobbyists—they won. <laughs> they won the battle on that one. Yeah, yeah. It's just that's, that's, that's what it <laughs>
1: comes down to. We're, our our pig bodies are captured by their funding source, which
2: in a lot of cases is uh, uh, the industrial food. Mm. Well, I I think that you know. I'm in this wonderful position because I'm a healthcare professional. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I can just jump right over that stuff and say, you know, I'm here. I'm looking at the health of my patients and right. I want to, I want to give them, you know, the best advice that's going to keep them living the longest, yep. feeling well. And, you know, they live a long, healthy life and, you know, they, they drop dead at the end from yeah. some infection or something. And, um, you know, I'm not here to, 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 you know, lobby, to fund industry. Mm. Um, I, have you know, I still prescribe medicine, but very little. So yeah. I don't work for the pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, and, and, and the message is the same for you. We're, we're here to help the general public. Indeed. Indeed.
0: Jeff, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
2: Yeah. Well, we'll see you in a, in a week or so. That's right. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Take care.
0: Well, you know, it's almost embarrassing that we have waited this long to have Dr. Gerber on the show. I know, right? Yeah. he's uh, He was there
1: pretty much from the get-go. Right. Yeah. 18 years he's been practicing as a low-carb doctor. So that's remarkable. It's awesome. And I think he's been low-carb for most of that himself as well.
0: Right. Hmm. Yeah, and of course, you know, one of the first low-carb conferences in the United States. Um, right. was his, uh, his outfit there.
1: Very I, cool. I think that was in Vail as well, the first low-carb conference. He did, yep. Yeah. And now and now he's doing them every year in Breckenridge, yep. and they're doing some in Australia as well, so that's awesome. Awesome, awesome. All right, man,
0: you hungry? I'm a little bit peckish, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then let's make some uh, recipes. recipes. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> you first? Yeah, okay, I'll go first. All right. So I'm talking today about a recipe that I've been working on that I'm actually going to show in the cooking demonstration at Keto Fest.
0: This is one of your six ways to do pulled beef.
1: That's exactly right. Today it's going to be Hungarian pulled beef or paprikash beef. Uh-huh. And uh, the way that you make this is, first of all, you need some pulled beef. So how we get pulled beef is we get a slow cooker and we put in uh, three large chuck roasts or one large bolar roast. And the chuck roast is um, a uh, three-pound uh, roast. Uh, it's really quite cheap and it's delicious if you roast it for a long time. Yes. Uh, the bowl is about three times the size of a chuck roast. It's a, both are approximately from the same place on an animal. Uh, on a, on a cow, the, sh- or in fact, on most mammals, the shoulder area carries a lot of fat and it's marbled through the meat. So, um, so you end up with a very fatty meat if you mm. get meat from the shoulder. Nice. Both of these cuts are from the forearm, sort of really the, the back of the arm near the armpit of the animal.
0: So It's like the butt, you would call it, on a pig, the pork butt. It's the shoulder meat.
1: Yes, exactly. And uh, so what I do is I put uh, meat in a slow cooker for 10 to 12 hours. What I want to do is I want to get it to the point where the meat just starts to fall apart and I can get a couple of forks in there and just start shredding it apart. So to cook the meat, I I put a little bit of water, a little bit of liquid of some kind in the bottom of the pan mm-hmm. because I don't want the meat to catch before it starts rendering out its fat. Yeah. Uh, and you can add a couple of aromatics. I add bay leaves, and in the case of when I'm doing pulled beef, I use thyme or uh, lemon thyme, for mm-hmm. example. Um, you don't really need to season it, uh, salt it. And we can do that later on. Okay. So I cook this beef for 10 to 12 hours and you'll see a lot of liquid in the slow cooker and you'll think oh I've got to drain off that liquid no leave that liquid because that's gold. Yeah. What we do is when we shred the meat those meat fibers drag up that liquid and hold on to it and uh, so that's really where the flavor is. The actual fibers themselves have lost a lot of their flavor. Mm-hmm. So um so what I do is I take this pulled meat and I put it in a Ziploc bag and freeze it. Uh, I put I, I I portion it up into a uh, uh, one Ziploc bag for two hundred grams worth of uh, worth of meat, and that's approximately two meals. So I'm cooking yeah. for Julie and I. So I'm basically putting our night's worth of meat uh, in a bag, freezing it in mm. the freezer, and it might stay there for you know a couple of months. It could stay there a couple of years in the freezer quite happily. So that's the first step. You're getting a freezer full of beef all pulled and all rolled up. Now the next step is how do you make a meal from that? So the first thing is, I take one of these bags out of the freezer, chuck it straight in the microwave and give it a minute and that's gonna soften, that basically gonna defrost the meat. I get a pan going on the stove and uh, what I wanna do is I want to start to develop some flavours. So I'm gonna start off with a a, a a little bit of fat of some kind. I like to use lard, but, you know, you could use butter. Anything, you're just basically getting enough fat in the pan so you can sweat some onions. Yeah. I chop up onions very finely. Uh, Basically, a small onion would be enough for two people in this meal. You don't need a lot, but it's for the flavour. But then Mm. I put a lot of garlic in. So for this particular Mm. meal, uh, for two people I'd put, um, four, uh, cloves of garlic, maybe five, nice. four, five, six cloves of garlic. Wow. So it's a really garlicky meal. Eight, nine.
0: Yeah, or seven, ten, eight, ten keep cloves going.
1: Put the whole head, heck, <laughs> put the whole head in. And, uh, so y- you want to chop up the garlic or use a garlic press to crush it and you're going to toss that into the onions. So we've got sweated down onions. We're adding some garlic to it. Now, the next step is I, I buy roasted Peppers, or they're they're actually uh, bell peppers or capsicums that have been peeled and roasted, and then stored in a jar with some oil. And mm-hmm. um, these are uh, you can you can roast them yourself, it, it, and in fact, it's quite easy to to roast a whole batch of pep- uh, peppers and then um, and then freeze them and 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 reconstitute them and use them that way. But I just find it's easier just to to, to buy roasted peppers in the jar already mm-hmm. made. And I put a whole bell pepper. Uh, chop it up, put it in the pan, and then I add about a teaspoon of paprika, smoked paprika yeah. flavor. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a it's a spice that's going to basically really kick it up a notch. Mm. And uh, so now I have a uh, I have the onions, garlic, paprika, and the peppers chopped all in the pan, yeah. and then I add the meat from the microwave to that, and I basically stir the meat and and let it start cooking in those spices. Yeah. And what that's going to do is it's going to combine the developed flavour of the pulled beef mm. with these new flavours and it's going to produce a meat that tastes like it's been cooking for four or five hours wow. in these spices. Nice. But it, you've only just introduced it. This whole thing takes like – five minutes to wow. make a meal so at the end when i take the pan off the range i stir in a little bit of uh, sour cream so maybe nice. two tablespoons of sour cream Perfect. through this and and that's i can taste Hungarian it now. pulled beef paprikash oh
0: man and i'm
1: gonna make i'm gonna make servings of this at keto fest
0: oh jeez you're going to do that times six and a half an hour? Oh my gosh, you're crazy! Yeah.
1: well, I'm going to do six different meals. I'm, I you know, know I'm, I know. You'll have to come to Keto Fest to uh, taste it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Carl, what have you got for us?
0: Well, I love New Orleans. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I love yeah, jazz. I love the music. I love Creole. the bourbon. I yeah. love Creole food, and I love uh, some of the things that came out of New Orleans, like the muffalata sandwich. Ah. The muff- now, what's a muffaletta sandwich? Well, the muffaletta sandwich is typically on this huge, almost an entire loaf of Italian <laughs> bread with sesame seeds on top. That's crusty right. on the top and soft. And then you essentially combine cold cuts, cheese, and an olive salad that's drenched in olive oil, and that and mm. that goes on the sandwich. So, that's that's essentially a muffaletta sandwich. But I obviously don't want to do it with bread. So – my recipe is a muffaletta salad. Mm, so, a salad? A salad. Mm, interesting. So the, the key to a muffalotta flavor is an olive salad. It's sort of like chopped pickled things in olives. So what I do is I use olives, roasted red peppers, some hot mm. pickled peppers, and mm-hmm. like pepperoncini, uh, marinated yep. artichoke hearts, And I also put in a sprig of rosemary because I love rosemary, especially with this kind of flavor. And you can also add garlic, oregano, celery, capers, any other flavors that you like, but just to get a nice, tangy, tart, salty salad. You know, three different kinds of olives, the green olives, the brown olives, the black olives – Just, you know, to mix it up a little bit to get that really tangy, you know, you can taste it, can't you?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I've got garlic and rosemary running around in my head right
0: now. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Now, the cold cuts you're going to use. You're going to use spicy capicola ham. Okay. All right. Sliced thin. Also Mm -hmm. cooked salami, sliced thin, and mortadella. Mm, Mortadella, yeah. Mortadella is kind of like a very porky bologna with chunks of fat in it. It's really, really good. And for the cheese, I use uh, sharp provolone mm-hmm. and fresh mozzarella. So fresh mozzarella, you get the balls that are in the way. All You know, they're very soft and just sure. you know, chop it up to get that kind of almost sweet uh, flavor. But not sweet, but you know what I mean, just Mo- very mild. If you
1: really want good mozzarella, mozzarella de buffalo. Oh, yeah. Or burrata. That's the stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. my, my. I'm getting hungry in the middle of your recipe. You realize that? (laughs) Yeah. Well,
0: okay. So, essentially, you start with a few cups of salad greens, and you put that on Mm -hmm. the bottom, and you just layer this stuff in and uh, mix it all up. That's pretty much all there is to it. Now, I'm using like a quarter cup of olive oil because the olive oil is going to be my fat for this dish, and you want to make sure that you use enough of it. You can either – toss it in the olive salad and then pour it on over or just, you know, once the whole thing is mixed together, you can douse it in olive oil, whatever you like. And just – it's probably pretty salty enough. So, you know, maybe you could salt – add a little salt if you want to, but uh, it's it's pretty salty with all the olives and the cold cuts. And then, you know, mm. some black pepper and you're, you've got a meal. Nice. It,
1: you've got a meal, but you could also uh, have a smaller portion on the side of a meat. Absolutely. On the side of a – a serve of uh, meat. So, yeah, I, that sounds wonderful. I've yeah. got to try
0: that. Yeah. Muffalada. 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 Nice. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, that's another show down the tubes.
1: Yeah. Of course, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, or some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post on our website.
0: And you can follow us on Twitter at 2KetoDudes, on Instagram at 2KetoDudes, and make sure you use the hashtag 2KetoDudes. And, of course, if you want to join our forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, Mm T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting that swag for free – Join the Two Keto Dudes Fan Club. You'll be eligible to nice. win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our podcast and our forums, hit the donate
1: button on our website at dubdubdub.twoketo or just go to donate.twoketo.com. You can also see our podcast and other videos on YouTube at youtube.twoketo.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on iTunes.
0: Yeah. Two Keto Dudes is engineered by Brandon Wen for Pwop Studios and produced by Carl Franklin, myself. Pwop Studios started in 1999 as a full-service audio and video production facility with podcast production experience since 2002, online at pwop.com. Keep calm and keto on, buddy. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Carl. All right. We'll see you next time on Two Keto, keto, keto Dudes.